There were a couple of good movies that came out in 2017. Couple. And we're going to argue about which of them were actually good. (laughs) And we do like to argue. That and more on this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside our crazy brains. I'm Jake. <laughs> I'm Paul. And we come to you again from our intimate cave, deep inside the bowels of a large building somewhere in a universe not <laughs> so very different from your own. Yeah, yeah. We need to redecorate the cave. I think that the stalactites need to come <laughs> down. The uh, stalagmites need, to, need go. to go. Yeah. Need stalagmites to need to go away, up. Wait, no. Okay, the stalactites so, need to come. Yeah, go they need up. to go. No, no, no. Stalactites are on the ceiling, right? So because they need they to hang go tight, up, right? So they need to go up. Well, they and need, out of the way. Well, we need and the to, stalagmites need to go down. No, we need to and cut out of the them way. down. Is the thing? Cut them down. Yeah, they yeah. won't. Yeah. Just They're sort of like those back. popcorn ceilings, right? Uh, you just need the to original get rid of them. popcorn ceiling. That's exactly right. Stringy popcorn ceiling. It's a weird. Wow. Spiky popcorn reference that doesn't make any sense. Wow, this episode has already gone off the rails. It's so early for this. Which is what makes it so glorious. <laughs> <laughs> but we're officially right. in 2018, in case you haven't checked your calendar in the last couple of weeks. So welcome to those of you that have been hibernating over the Christmas break. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> have missed been. all of 2017. You are very fortunate. <laughs> uh, but you know what? <laughs> For all the <laughs> and Paul's dead. <laughs> Paul just, I'm Paul fine. Just croaked. I'm fine. I came back. For all I'm like the, a superhero. For all the quagmire of 2017 in culture and pop culture, there was a lot of ugly stuff, but there were also some gems, and we wanted to take a chance to talk about our favorite movies. From 2017 yeah. and, and dive in, talk about what we loved about them, why we think maybe they are or are not enduring classics. Maybe some are, maybe some aren't. Sometimes movies are great when you watch them once and that's it. Yeah, and sometimes great movies just sort of vanish anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really great indie movies that come along and they're there and they make a big stir for a while and then they're gone and you never hear about them again. Yeah. And we'll also give a couple of nods ahead to the movies of 2018 that have maybe caught our eye or our brain attention at some point. So, without further ado, it's time for Rank Geeks. Welcome inside Rank Geeks, where we two smelly nerds talk about the things and rank them in a numerical order. Yes, indeed. All the things. All the things. And today, all the things will be all the movies, all the best movies of 2017. All the best. All of the best. At least Actually. as decided by us. Yeah, yeah. So as, as per normal, we're doing our top five. And because I know that my list is going to be far superior to Jake's, I think, Jake, you should go first. All right. Number five on my list of the best movies of 2017. Actually, I have to give Paul a nod for this one. Ooh. Because, I mean, I had seen that I had wanted to watch it, but Paul pushed me over into watching it. 
and that is Netflix's Mudbound. Ooh! I did dip my toe into that murky, muddy water. And you know what? As tough as that movie is to watch, I'm glad that I did. It is quite the movie, isn't it? It's a it's this epic story of these folks in the 1940s trying to to live off the land in southern Mississippi. There's two families involved, one white, one black. It's right during World War II, so it talks a lot about race relations and just the difficulty of living off the land and poverty and all this other stuff. Uh, it's really a fascinating movie. It is, and it's even though it's relatively modern given the entire course right. of history, it feels very primal mm-hmm. in many ways because this is the dirty backwoods of southern Mississippi. You know, the the sun is not always shining and the air is not always gleaming and uh, what's the other line from Lake Wobegon? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but... It's it's very gritty, it's very dirty, and things don't go well in many different ways. And you see two very different families kind of trying to live through it and yeah. overcome it. Yeah. Or maybe succumb to it in their own ways. Yeah. And with the the tension of, you know, this they're on the outskirts of this huge world war that's even touched their small little backwoods town and families and and still the race uh issues that linger in the air oh yeah in very strong huge ways huge issues huge issues and you know the the thing that this movie kind of reminded me of it feels like sort of an american epic i mean yeah. you're dealing with a lot of characters and a lot of stuff is going on it's not a particularly long long movie but it reminded me a little bit, and I don't know, I know you're a huge reader, Jake, but I'm no. not sure if you've, you've read East of Eden by John Steinbeck. It reminded no, I haven't me a read it yet, that. though, but I, have, I am familiar, so. Yeah, no, it, it, just has, it just has that feel where you're getting into the nitty-gritty of these two families. Back in when I was a kid, this would have been like a ABC 17-part miniseries, I think, just yeah. dealing with these families. Netflix condensed it into one really powerful movie, I think. It is. It makes you think about things that are uncomfortable to think about. And I know we've talked about that before. The The fact that as much as we like movies and TV to be an escape, sometimes, many times, it ought, I believe it ought to challenge us. And I think Mudbound does that. Um, and I actually, you know, interestingly enough, I think it would have been higher on my list had it not been for the ending. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, uh, but the ending um, – the ending felt very – it didn't hammer home the point mm-hmm. the way I felt. If it, I actually wished it would have ended about two minutes earlier than it did mm. or one minute earlier than it did. It, oh, it, it seemed like they tacked on that this, this ending to give uh, a different feel a to more the movie, a more optimistic closer. Yeah. But I would I think it would have felt even more poignant had they they ended it with this one soliloquy slash prayer that happens at the end. It was yeah. this powerful moment of of anger and rage and forgiveness all at the same time. Um, or maybe or was it? I mean, I think there's a lot to dissect there, and I would have loved if it dropped right in that moment but still a powerful powerful moment in a powerful movie yeah yeah no that's a worthy choice um my number five is 
going to come as no surprise to you, I don't think, Jake. My number five is Logan. 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 It's a worthy choice. Yeah, no, I, I had um, when I put it together for my Pathos blog, I do a top ten every year. Um, I had two superhero movies on that list, and Logan was the number one. Wonder Woman finished a little bit lower than that. But for me, Logan was really powerful. Have you seen it, Jake? I have. Yeah. Yep. And, in fact, it is on my own list. Oh, oh I'm, well, then I won't talk too so. much about it. So let me let me actually say something. Let me confess something to All you, right. Jake, because I have given you a hard time in the past about liking only one specific sort of movie where it's all these guys <laughs> and some sort of cat and mouse scheme that run around and do a lot of violent things. It's gritty. It's fatalistic. Exactly. And Kevin Spacey may or may not have that <laughs> ambigu- ambiguous part in it, right? But as I was putting together this list, I kind of realized, that um, I have some of the same sort of tendencies. Like the movies that really resonate with me tend to be about family. They tend to have this really strong uh, parent-child component to it. And, and Logan has that really powerful parent-child component where you have Logan, this old grizzled superhero who comes across this his essentially daughter. Uh, at least a you know a daughter figure she becomes in 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 the tale and and you see the lengths to to which Logan will go to to save this little girl from yeah. some really bad people and for me it was that that quasi father daughter connection that really worked for me it really resonated with me it was a it was a very powerful movie and I think had some some interesting faith themes too I, I, I could have written about this movie all year long <laughs> because I just really dug it that much well yeah because you talk about the father daughter but there's also like a father grandfather gra- like a father and grandfather mm-hmm. dynamic you yeah know? so father son but yeah at, a, at that older age range you know with end of life care that was surprisingly poignant Oh, so in poignant. this in this movie, and and so I'll save a little bit more of my take for when it comes up on my list, but very worthy of being in the top five um, for sure. Since I mean, it's in mine as well. <laughs> All right, so number four for me, I think this one this one I forgot actually came out in 2017. Mm. For some reason, I was thinking this came out in 2016. It's because it was earlier, 2017. Yeah. Uh, but it's the Lego Batman movie. Lego Batman! <laughs> did you see this, Bob? Uh, yeah, I did see it. It is so good. <laughs> it didn't make my top ten, but I root for it. Just hearing <laughs> you say that made me really happy. And, but that, and I think that's a mark of a great movie, and it's one that I've now seen multiple times because my kids really enjoy it, and so you know we bought it, and we We've watched it multiple times since then, and it's still fantastic. I stand by my contention. I've put this list up on Twitter before of the best uh, movie Batmans of all time. And for me, Will Arnett as Lego Batman is number one. (laughs) Get your Christian Bale out of here. Get your Michael Keaton out of here. It's Will Arnett. (laughs) He is fantastic. He nails like the dark, gritty yeah. Batman voice so well. Yeah. But then he translates it to this this incredible sense yeah. of humor. Well, and, yeah. or the writers do, but he, then he translates yeah. their their work. So. No, I, I totally resonate with that because you know I really like the dark, gritty Christian Bale Batman. You know, yeah. I, that's that's my favorite Batman. But at the same time, I love the way. Lego has subverted that entire thing and, and made Batman fun again. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that that's, that's a great thing about the Batman character is that he can, he can really um, 
mold to a lot of different different forms. You know, yeah. you don't always have to have a Batman that's dark and gritty. You can all you can have this very fun, very light um, representation of the character and have it still feel true to the character. And I think it really was in a, in a certain sort of way. I, I it was it, it's delightful. It, it referenced you know other entrances. Entries, not entrances. Other entries in the <laughs> Batman universe in in a very mocking, self uh, yeah. deferential way, yeah. yeah, and very depreciating, self deprecating. There you go, self deferential guys. My words don't speak well. It's early. It's this early, early in the AM. <laughs> um, but it also had a father son dynamic, and it's just very watchable. When I was trying to put together this list, I was like, this is too silly to put on here. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, not no. only is it on this list, it's not even just number five. It's number four. Yeah, no, no. It's it's really It's worthy. a smart movie. It's, it's a, a funny movie. movie. And it's got some amazing action for a Lego movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, just a, just a quick little aside. <laughs> my, uh, my wife got me a Lego Batman set, like the, the set designed yeah. based on the old 1960s television show. Yeah. It is fantastic. It has the poles labeled Bruce and Dick, you know, for <laughs> Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, and they can go down and, all right, I'll just, I'll take a picture of it. I love you can it. post it on yes, our, please on our do. Facebook page. I want to see it. All right, number four for you. Oh, yeah. That would be... Sorry, I, I got lost. <laughs> you in were Batman. lost in Batman. I was lost in Batman. This is a very different sort of movie. <laughs> I, I chose a ghost story. All right. And I, I did want to see this. This was on my notable list of want to see. Yeah, now there's there's no caper involved, so I'm not exactly sure how much you'd enjoy it. I, I'd actually be really interested to hear what you would think of it, I just said it, I liked Mudbound. Well, yeah, Come that's true. Now. You did like Mudbound. And, and, but Ghost Story... It is one of those strange movies where people either really like it or they say, what is up with Casey Affleck dressed in a sheet the entire time? Because that's, that's essentially what it is. You have Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck, their characters aren't even named um, because it's that quiet of a movie. I kind of like that. And, and yeah, so you have essentially what happens is they're a couple, they move into this house, uh, Casey Affleck loves the house. Rooney Mara wants to move. But then all of a sudden these conversations about what to do with the house get totally capsized because Casey Affleck dies in a terrible car accident. And he comes back as a ghost. And essentially what it is, it's, it's less of a movie and more of very philosophical rumination on the nature of time and of death. And so you have these long, lingering scenes where you just see Casey Affleck wandering around the house in his sheet. He looks like a, a Charlie Brown Halloween ghost. And it's really... It, it, the way it was developed, it was just really fascinating to me because uh, the character looks funny, looks incredibly sad, can look kind of scary at times. And, and it's just... It, it really is... An amazingly thoughtful piece. Yeah. Um, I talked with the director, actually, David Lowry, and asked him. He was the guy who directed uh, Pete's for Dragon, which was an overlooked Pete's Disney. Stif- Pete's for Dragon? Pete's for Dragon. No, Pete's, Pete's <laughs> I Dragon. I that one. <laughs> um, it, was, it was sort of an overlooked Disney classic, but it was a really powerful movie. And it also dealt with these themes of, of loss and grief and, and that type of thing. And I, I asked him, what was it about 
this theme that attracted him. And he said, you know, I think it's because it's something that scares me. It's something that I've never really lost anyone close to me. And so it's sort of the idea of how will I deal with that when it comes about. So um, has it's a really interesting movie. It can feel at times a little nihilistic. And for some, it will definitely feel quite slow. There's like a five-minute scene where Rooney Mara just eats a pie. But Well, you know what? I like wasted time if I know that that's the whole point. <laughs> no, it, I think that this would be a movie that you would be really interested in because it, yeah. it does things that I've never seen done in any other movie. And, and I like that. I, I appreciate the, the craft and art of, make, of being able to capture emotion with the way we shoot things, sometimes down to the length of it. Yeah. I, I know I've busted, uh, I've busted on good old Alfred Hitchcock for doing it at times where I felt like he could have sped it up. But at the same time, there are times where the art of the scene is mm. not moving something along. Right. And, 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 and appreciating the stagnation mm-hmm. of a moment in a sense. Uh, or sometimes the simmering of a yeah. moment very quietly. And I think that can be really powerful. So that's why that one is interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and the best art tends to come from the places where we have the greatest – Fears. Yeah, I think you so. You know, for better or for worse, whether we're talking any genre, you know, can deal with our fears. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because I was uh, at a workshop with a guy named Matthew Lund mm-hmm. who worked at Pixar for like two decades mm. and now is a creative consultant on, the own, on his own. So he did stuff like Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo and Ratatouille and many other Pixar movies. And he talked about how for Finding Nemo, uh, that idea started because a bunch of these you know, men and women who had been working together at Pixar had gotten married and had kids and were dealing with this fear of you yeah. know, what happens if my child gets separated from me. And, it, and so that idea, that fear spurred the creation of Finding Nemo, which we would say is a Pixar classic. Yeah. yeah. And so anyways, I th- – I'm very interested in the ghost story for many reasons, but one of them being dealing with that very personal fear that's universal at the same right. time right. Right. is right. a right. great way to make art and to deliver a powerful message. Yeah, absolutely. For better or for worse. All right. So speaking of that, number three for me is Logan. Logan, speaking of that fear of losing a child. That's fear of losing a child, losing a parent. You know, of our world. Well, I mean, Logan himself is kind of living out of fear. Right. He's seen his entire world ripped away from him and yeah. so many people lost. And so he's trying to kind of cling to those last scraps of of hope. Yeah. He's got a retirement plan that's basically escaping just, even further. Right. He's, he's essentially waiting to die. Yeah. And trying to protect the world in its own very slow way. He doesn't even well. care about, like he doesn't even care about protecting the world. He's just trying to protect his world, yeah. which is this essentially these two guys, right? One in particular, but yeah. And see, the thing is, so these two guys, the other one is Professor X, who right. has is dealing with dementia, right? And because of his particular brain powers, he has the ability if he goes like full 
dimension-y, right. he's, he has the power to destroy a lot of things. So so Logan keeps him. So in I guess there is a slight world Yeah, so he's planning on taking a boat, yeah. right? And just sort of where they can just sort of die together, which is one of the saddest endings to a superhero story that you can imagine. But it's, it's really poignant at the same time. It really is. And the movie itself is obviously incredibly violent. You know, it got right. its... Uh, our, it earned its R rating. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, a very it, – it's not – it didn't feel like a superhero movie. Yeah. It felt like a very human yes, movie. Yes, absolutely. In spite of these superpowers. You see the – you know, you see them bleed. You see them broken. You see them down and you see them down again yeah. and again and again. And uh, it felt so poignant because of that. Yeah. It felt – the fragility even of the superhumans felt so powerful and poignant so as to be relatable while yet still helping us kind of transcend. They had enough power that we weren't mired in our helplessness right, right, as right. the viewers. And I thought that was part of what made it such a yeah such an interesting movie. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just throw one other thought on that just because I have to now that you say <laughs> you know because I think what you what you say that it wasn't really a superhero movie as much as it is a really just human story. I think that the, one of the things that that made me so excited when I first saw Logan and it is incredibly violent and there are some points that frankly didn't work for me that well. Yeah. But it it showed I think the level of depth that you can get, even in the superhero genre, I think that that you have some people who look at those superhero movies and say, "They're the same story over and over again." This was not the same story. This right. was a this was a western. This was a road movie, and more more than anything, as you say, Jake, it was it was a movie about people, a movie about family, and it was it was just super well done. Yeah. So number three for me, a movie that we have talked about. In the past, Jake, right. and I still would like you to see Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Lady Bird is a indie comedy, um, and it is just a delightful little movie. It is. Uh, it's at ninety nine percent of Rotten Tomatoes. It's. It's gotten. We're recording this before the Golden Globes. I know that it has four Golden Globe nominations. It'll probably win a couple for sure. Um, and it's essentially the story about this this high school senior. She goes to a Catholic school and she um, looks at her life and she sees nothing that she wants to keep. She's tired of her family. She hates her own town. The Catholic school that she goes to drives her crazy. She has even ripped away her own name and she wants everybody to call her Ladybird. Um, and so it's really this this story about this this girl. Um, walking through her senior year dealing with all these coming of age things that that these movies typically deal with but it's also coming into terms with herself um and i had a chance to talk with this director as well actually greta gerwig and she was talking a little bit about how the movie is essentially about grace how as as lady bird is going through these changes and how she's pushing against everything that she knows and and has been around all her life. She has shown these moments of grace from her family, from her school, from her friends. Um, and she doesn't really understand it. She doesn't necessarily appreciate it. Uh, but these moments of grace shower on her. And she doesn't realize until, you know, until very close to the very end how, how meaningful all these things were to her and how much she sort of discovers that she loves them. Yeah. And and she never 
quite realized or understood how important they were to her. And it's just, it's a really powerful, really quirky story that, that is so, so specific and yet so universal. And again, it has these themes of, of this mom and daughter bond that I find, you know, that, that family bond that I find so resonant in so many of these movies. So, yeah, Lady Bird, R-rated, definitely has some issues, but it's a, it's a powerful movie. Yeah, this is one that um, I heard, heard nothing about it until it came out. And then all of a sudden, my Twitter feed, appropriately enough... <laughs> For a movie called Lady Bird, my Twitter feed exploded. Like everybody was talking about this on Twitter, seen it multiple times, two, three, four times, writing about it, going on these epic Twitter rant thread rants about how much they appreciated it and what it explored about this, that, and the other thing, and and then Paul talking about it. And so it's it's well, I have not, not seen it, but it is on my want to see because it's one that obviously is touching a nerve. Yeah. Yeah. With a lot of people, kind of coming out of nowhere right. for you know being a smaller indie movie. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it it really is a powerful movie, and and it's surprisingly faithful. You know, obviously it has a lot of content issues. It has some very uncomfortable moments, but in the end, it comes down with these incredibly positive messages about the importance of family and about the power of faith. Um, and and it's just so well written. I think that that's one of the things that I really appreciated about it. It's so well written. There was a moment in the movie actually that made me gasp. Uh, there's Lady Bird is talking with her her nun counselor essentially, and and the nun says that she just read a, an essay that Lady Bird had written about Sacramento, and and the nun says, "I can tell from this that you really." love this city and lady bird says no 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 that's that is not correct i you know i she spends the entire movie trying to get away from this city uh she thinks sacramento is just boring and you know suburban and blah and then she says but you know i do pay attention and the nun says well isn't that kind of the same thing Paying attention isn't that another form of love, and I thought that that was really profound, mm. you know, in a certain sort of way. Obviously, we we can pay attention to the wrong sorts of things, but I think that the intentionality that we show to one another shows shows our care, shows right. our love. Well, it's very Christian in the sense that, you know, biblically, it's the imperative is always knowing God, mm-hmm. and that gets lost in our dogma. That gets lost in our. <coughs> Oh, and our coughs and our <laughs> wheezes. But uh, the imperative is knowing God yeah. and being known by God. Yeah. That that's at the core of the gospel message. You know, Jesus says, you know, if I want those that know me to be with you. you yeah. Know, he's talking to his father and vice versa. And so that that I, I think that is a powerful thing that we lose sight of too often. So, yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right. Number two for me is less poignant, <laughs> uh, but like number four on my list, which was the Lego Batman movie, right. is just a fun, flat out fun movie. It's one that I am already quoting a lot with people. And when I was, again, looking at this list, I did not, I put together, when I was making my 2017 list, I put together a list of just a bunch of movies I had seen that I liked and then started weeding them out. And this was one that I kept thinking I was going to knock off or when I added it, I didn't think it was going to make it. And it bumped all the way up to number two. Wow. Uh, and, and I think you'll probably mock me for this, but it was Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. 
It is a blast of a movie. Yeah. A lot of people were turned off by the fact that it was this kind of jocular buddy comedy. And you know what? I'm just going to own it. I was a jock in high school, yeah. so I like the jocular buddy comedy. <laughs> so bring it at me. And that's why it's this high on my list. I appreciate that kind of give and take, that ribbing. I like the evolution of Thor into this jokester character, you know. But it was also kind of a poignant movie about the way – the sins of the past yeah. can come back to haunt us. Uh, you know, maybe that wasn't dwell. You know, wasn't dwelled upon for sure, sure. rumination, but uh, just from start to finish, from the very beginning, when Thor is dangling from a chain, talking to Sartre and and <laughs> telling him to hold on on his monologue as he's his back is facing him, <laughs> you know, to all this stuff on the the trash, the kind yeah. of island of misfit toys that jeff yeah. goldblum and the director taika watiti as his uh monster he was hilarious was so funny yeah was so funny bringing it and and you know this speaks to my sense of humor and taika watiti you know one of the things he had done before was spent some time on is that how you say his name i i, I think so that's like that. that was a good conscious pretty, effort pretty close yeah. <laughs> uh he had done like flight of the concords uh stuff before yeah. which is you know off kilter new zealand and right, right, right. Musical humor, very and, quirky, and he brought that into the Thor universe, and it worked. And there was some kick butt action, and boy, did I really enjoy Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, no, it was it was no mocking here. I will point out that you had three superhero movies I, in your top five, but and all three are very different from what we've gotten. All from the very different, movies. yeah. And, and again, I think that that when you look at Thor Ragnarok, it really expresses sort of how malleable the superhero genre is because this is a very different movie than Logan and it is very good in its own way you know it is lighter it doesn't have that that self-seriousness that sometimes you find and that's great you know it was fun it was light it really did take Thor in a different direction Um, and and goodness gracious Chris Hemsworth He's a pretty funny dude. He really it is. really makes me angry that he's as good looking <laughs> as he is and he's as funny as he is. Yeah. He can be very self-depreciating. He almost reminds me, now that I think about it, a little bit of Cary Grant, you know, cuz Cary Grant had that same sort yeah. of uh Cary Grant if he had rock hard abs. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different age. Rock hard abs were not the thing. But yeah, he he definitely has a certain self-depreciating charisma about him that that I really appreciated. And 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 although Thor Ragnarok did not make my list, it is a worthy inclusion on yours. So. Oh. All right, number 2 for you. Number 2 for me. Uh this is going to be sort of one that I don't know if Also, I, I did see that back that left-handed smack of a compliment slap <laughs> Didn't even make my list, but no. it's a worthy inclusion for yours, peon. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. All right, number two for you. I like the record. <laughs> it wouldn't make my list, but now I my list number two, the Florida Project. Ah, uh, see, this is another one on my want to see list. Yeah, this is a this is this would be a trickier one for you to see actually than okay. Lady Bird in some ways, um, but it's a delightful movie. It's a delightfully tragic movie in a way about this family this this mom and daughter who live in poverty essentially right outside Disney World they live in a in a chintzy little hotel 
and they're just trying to make ends meet, right? So it it deals a lot with sort of this this crushing invisible poverty that that is all around this country that we never really pay attention to, and it sort of takes us into that world in a very intimate way. Um, but it's all told through the eyes of this delightful little girl. She's Moni in the movie. Her real name is Brooklyn Prince. She was six years old. She had she puts in one of the most remarkable film performances I saw this year. Maybe the most remarkable. She was incredible. It's told through her eyes. And because she's six years old, everything takes this... It becomes magical. You know, she doesn't see the poverty. She just sees a mom that she loves. She has her friends that she hangs out with. Because their parents aren't particularly attentive. They have sort of the run of Orlando. They run all over the strip in Orlando, essentially begging for money and looking at cows and going into these decrepit buildings and getting into lots and lots of trouble. Uh, I think I've heard it described as sort of a modern-day Little Rascals. And there's, a, there's an element of that. Um, so you have these moments of, of really funny, humorous you know, scenes juxtaposed with this, this crushing poverty and these terrible decisions that Moni's mother makes and the, the, the tragedy, the unfolding tragedy that is sort of their family. Um, but it's delightful too. You know, it's, it's one of the, it's a very strange movie that does a lot in a very small condensed space, but it's, it's kind of magical. Yeah. All right. The magic of Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, and it really... Leaking into every aspect of life. (laughs) I've never been to Disneyland. You've never been to Disneyland? Never been, or world. Yeah, see, and I think one of the most... most, uh, I I walked by it. See, have you ever had a desire to to go? Well, no, that's not true. I did. As a kid, I did really want to go. Mm -hmm. I liked the idea of all the rides and things like that. And so uh, I'm I'm actually not bitter about this at all. So when I say this memory, it's not like, oh, poor me. Yeah. But... As a child, I was interested in going, and I would ask. I know I asked my parents about it, and they're like, "Well, when your youngest sibling is like five or older, then we'll we'll think about going." Right. And of course, that came and went, and we didn't ever go. Yeah. And I'm actually not even a, the least bit bitter about that. I, yeah. And now I have almost zero interest outside of if somebody gave me a free ticket and I could go ride roller coasters, yeah. I'd be cool with that. But otherwise, I have zero interest. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that there's sort of a sweet spot. And if you if you hit that sweet spot, it becomes, you know, kind of a, a cool deal. Like, you know, my family is a Disney family. We we go to do the marathons there. We've, we, we've been to Disneyland and Disney World quite a lot. Yeah. Um, one of the powerful things about this movie is that you have these people who could never ever hope to go to Disneyland or Disney World. You know, it is literally right outside their door, yeah. and yet it might as well be on the other side of the world yeah. for the accessibility that it's at. And, and you have these kids who are at the perfect age. There's a beautifully poignant scene where where Moni and her mother takes Moni's best friend Jancy. Um, they hitchhike to essentially a vacant lot where they can watch. The, the nightly fireworks at Disney, mm. uh, you know, and they do these fireworks every single night. But they've, for this, that moment for them is a magical moment because they sit there and they watch the fireworks, and it's as close as they might ever get to the Magic Kingdom, even though they're right outside its walls. And it, yeah. it makes you, it makes you appreciate 
those of us who have the ability to go to places like that, it makes you appreciate that. And, and, and hopefully it might make you look at the people who don't and figure out ways where you can speak into their lives a little bit more. Yeah. Does it, does it have more empathy than sympathy for these characters? Yes. Very much so, yeah. very much so. Because it really, the thing is almost told in a documentary format. I mean, it doesn't feel like these characters are, are acting at all. So you re- literally are taken in, well, not literally, you are taken into their lives. And you sit down with them. You deal with what they deal with. It is it is very empathetic. Nice. And if, if, uh, if, if points a finger, it's really at some of the... the the rich people who who take Disney World a trip to Disney World as a rite of passage, you know, and I think that it's it's a really it's a really interesting, powerful, uh, very socially pointed, but not in a really not maybe aggressively angry way. Angry yeah, or, no, it, yeah. it really just it just makes you think. It just makes you think more of a even as you laugh and yeah. even as you cry, and and so because of that, because of all this together, it really is an effective movie. Yeah. All right. All right, number one. Number one. This one came out of nowhere for me. I didn't like the trailers for it. I thought it was – I thought it seemed like it was going to be just another movie I didn't care about. <laughs> but I watched it, and you know what? It was my favorite movie of 2017, and that's why it's number one. And it was Baby Driver. We've talked about it here before. You can go back and listen like for our full in-depth thoughts. We recorded that. An episode with uh, our guest host, uh, Tim Nestor, yep. back in the day when we talked about superhero movies. But boy, was this movie uh, such a nice surprise to be an action car heist musical comedy. Yeah. Without being your standard musical, it was a musical. Without being your standard heist movie, it was. Without being your standard action yep. movie, it did all these things, and I thought it did them really well. Yep. It felt very original. Even if even if we've some of the story beats are classic, that's part of what makes movies powerful is when yep. we take these classic universal themes and put them in stories that feel fresh and new. Yeah. And Baby Driver did that for me. Yeah. And I really appreciated the way it the, – the, the, just the care they took to match the soundtrack with the action. And when you say that, you're like, well, isn't that always what you do with a soundtrack? Not this to is a the, different thing. Not to the yeah. level of precision that they did here. And Edgar Wright is just proving again that he is a fantastic director. Yeah, this was one of the more creative movies that I saw, definitely. It was um, – Incredibly creative. It, it hits. I know it hits a lot of the touchstones that you have. <laughs> this caper, lots of violence, lots of guys. Kevin Spacey, lots of guys. <laughs> no, you, you like sort of. I mean, it, and I think it's only natural. I mean, it's especially now. This is getting way far afield, <laughs> but I think that I think that that sort of your upbringing and your experience with sports and all that sort of stuff. Sure. I, I think it makes those those moments where you're dealing with other guys really resonant and I think that sure. that, that makes just total sense and I get into the male camaraderie too. exactly yeah. exactly and I think that this movie has some of that but it it's told in a very creative way it's told uh, very well and although it's incredibly violent I think that, that it has some 
it's a really fun movie. It's a really fun movie. Yeah. And we have and, – and again, it doesn't do that at the expense of a few moments where you feel touched right. of a boy taking care of a foster father that took care of him. And yeah. some very sweet and funny moments between the two of them uh, as the story unfolds. And he's trying to figure out how to stop everything from unraveling even as it unravels around him. And, yep. Um, I really appreciate that about it. Yeah, no, and I, I think that I think that this pick actually illustrates just the the variety that we've seen this year in, in really quality movies. Because I really do think that's a really quality movie. You have um, a lot of times in in these these years, you have everything sort of condensed into November, and they're all sort of the same types of movies. They're these these heavy duty historical dramas, you know. Yeah. This year, you had a lot of variety in terms of what was really excellent. I mean, you had you had the Logans of the world, you had the Lady Birds of the world, and Baby Driver fits right into that that upper echelon of quality that you saw. It was funny, it was action packed. It doesn't it doesn't feel like an an awards caliber movie, but honestly, I kind of think it was. And, and Get Out was sort of that same way too. The, the mm. horror movie that yeah. didn't make either of our lists, but it it was definitely. You have some some filmmakers who are taking some big chances, and I think they're working. Yeah. All right, number one for you, Paul. All right, number one is Dunkirk. 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 It is Christopher Nolan's war drama. It was it was the best movie made about Dunkirk this year, and there were actually <laughs> two. <laughs> it was. Uh, I don't know. Did you see this? Jake? I have not gotten the chance to. I, this I is really a movie. Was bummed that I wasn't able to. This is a movie that you might really enjoy. Um, it's it's obviously a war drama. It takes place on on the very early stages of, of World War II, where you have. Um, the British Army is essentially pinned down in France by the Nazi. Nazis are, in, are advancing. It seems impossible that this, this British Army, the entire British Army of 300,000 people, is trapped. There's no way they're going to get off. People are saying in Britain that if 30,000, one-tenth of them, escapes, it'll be a miracle. Um, because of some creativity and some luck, uh, they pretty much the entire British army is, is evacuated. It's this incredible, tragic military disaster, and yet it becomes sort of a rallying point for all of Britain, and it sort of pushes them forward. I think that really, keep calm and carry on, that, that old British cliche, uh, it's, it stems from this moment in Dunkirk where you just had a lot of people pitching in to, to save this army, um, these, these civilian boaters, came by these fishing boats these these luxury yachts they swept over to the to the beaches of France to pull these people back um, and so this is sort of Christopher Nolan's version of that event um, it's in some ways Christopher Nolan is a strange filmmaker he does a lot of creative things in his filmmaking this may be his most experimental movie in in yet in some huh. ways um, which is saying something for this guy which is saying something for this guy, and there's, it has these these, it works on different timelines. Essentially, you have one story told on different timelines that sort of are sliced all the way through. And huh. for some people, it can be pretty confusing. Yeah, uh, it's also a short movie. It's short, but it's gripping. It's not much more than ninety minutes long. I don't. Oh think. wow. Um, but because of the score by Hans Zimmer, there's this driving score. 
it becomes really compelling and it just forces you into into the action as much as you possibly can from the comfort of your own living room. Man, I tell you what, the Nolan Zimmer combo is basically like the Steve Young Jerry Rice combo. <laughs> That's of really the movie true. World. That's really true. Or maybe it? Steve Young and Jerry Rice are like Nolan and Zimmer, but they just do some great work together. They really do. Well, there you have it. That that was our top 2017, our favorite 2017 yep. film. I'm surprised Detroit didn't make your list. Jay. Detroit was pretty close. You know, some of the ones that didn't quite, you know, make it were what one was Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mudbound edge ended up edging it out. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Detroit was a a really powerful movie. We've talked about it before, mm-hmm. um, but I thought Mudbound was ultimately the better movie between the two now we'll see it when i rewatch but um and wonder didn't make my list but was a really fun movie that i appreciated and wonder woman also yeah missed out on the top five not because it wasn't a great movie but because there was a lot of other movies a lot of other great movies that hit yeah and so there and there were even uh so yeah, I, it was tough to make this top five, but I feel good about what I landed on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But now looking ahead at 2018, I think we have an interesting slate. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to touch yeah. on, as we capped off 2017, we wanted to look ahead at 2018 and say right. what we're looking forward to. Right, right. And we have a lot of sequels. A lot of sequels. And a lot of, again, superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that overall I was looking more forward to the movies in 2017 yeah. than 2018. When I was when I was looking ahead to, to what is coming up on the docket, I didn't see a ton that I was really, really excited about. Right. Like Solo, the new Star Wars movie that's coming out. I'm a little bit leery of that one. Um, so my my list is a little bit, it feels a little bit light. I tell you what, I'm really looking forward to A Wrinkle in Time. See, that one I'm cautiously intrigued by. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I love the book. It. Yeah. But it feels like, it feels like Hollywood is, has, with these lighter fantasy, I, I say lighter, I say lighter with a bit of a caveat in that Wrinkle in Time is pretty dark in yeah. places. Yeah. But these lighter, you know, kind of young adult fantasy books of yesteryear haven't always fared well when Hollywood's been adapting them. Mm-hmm. And that has me concerned. Yeah, no, but I'm, you're looking I'm to, with you're you. looking forward I'm to it. Looking forward Ava to Duvernay it. Ava DuVernay is a very good director. I'm looking forward to it. I'm cautiously optimistic. We would have had the same sort of conversation I think about Justice League last year where I was cautiously optimistic and we know how that turned out. Yeah. But uh but I think that Wrinkle in Time at least from what I've seen it seems like it could go totally wrong, but I think the trailers make me cautiously optimistic. Um, of course, The Avengers. That's the number one movie that I'm looking forward to. <sighs> Avengers Affinity War. I just want to know how they're going to deal with all of these superheroes <laughs> yeah. in the space of, what, a two, two and a half hour that's what, movie? That's what I was going to say. This one, for me, of course, we're excited about it. But I'm more, I'm more apprehensive about it just because as ambitious as The Avengers was mm-hmm. – or the original Avengers, and then even um, 
uh, Ultron and yeah. Civil War, where you're trying to fit a lot of them on the screen at the same time, it's been tough. Yeah, and and they've done a pretty good job for the most part. But now we're talking about even more heroes and yeah. introducing the Guardians, which is not just introducing one big hero, but five big heroes, right? Five, five, six, and then and then. Like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And Black Panther playing a bigger role and all of this. It's it's going to be something. Now, yeah. the Russo brothers are really good directors. Yeah. And they do have this film. So that makes me yeah. more optimistic than cautious. But One of the things about my, my own personality, and you got to realize that back when I was a kid, my favorite part of the football season was actually the Pro Bowl. Yeah. I really enjoyed. <laughs> I, I know it's so Just lame, all right? Seeing all the stars together, seeing all the stars together, and that's what this movie makes me feel like. I yeah. mean, there's there's still a little bit of a little boy in me that gets super excited about seeing all these people together. Yeah. You know, isn't that going to be awesome? So, whether it matches up in in you know my adult critical world, I don't know if if, if it will. But I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. Well, again, if there's people that are going to do it, it's Anthony and Joe Russo because yeah. they're not only have they done it with Winter Soldier and Civil War, Civil War more specifically, you know, pulling in a bunch of characters, but their other big credits are actually uh, with Community, the TV show, and Arrested Development, <laughs> which are two shows with really big characters and right, trying to right, stuff right. them into Lots these of cast. small, yeah, huge cast. like big casts, and each person in the cast being kind of an outsized personality. Right. That was kind of the hallmark of both of those shows is that almost every single character was larger than life. Yeah, that's a good Even point. though they weren't superhero shows. And they would stuff them into 20, 30-minute episodes. Yeah. And make that, and th- those are classic TV shows. So... You know, yeah, I no, think they could do it point. with Infinity War. That's a good point. My last movie that I'm going to mention, this is going to be sort of out of left field, The Meg. The Meg? The M-E-G. Meg. All right. I haven't heard of I don't know anything about it except that it's like it features the, the Meg is a 70-foot-long shark. All right. So as soon as I hear 70-foot-long oh, shark. Megalodon. Yeah, exactly. Got I'm, it. I'm in. Got it. I am in. So we shall see. So we what don't that know. Looks it's like. not. It's not. We don't know if it's a documentary. We don't know no. if it's <laughs> Jaws. Yeah, it sounds like it's Jaws on on prehistoric steroids. And and like with a millennial flair, since we shorten everything. Yeah, exactly. It's not the megalodon. It's the Meg. <laughs> yeah. You know, me and the Meg. We're exactly. All right. So the two for me uh, that I think I'm most interested in, I would say, because they're we haven't heard much about them. I'm still a little bit cautious on them but uh, one is called Captive State mm. and this has John Goodman and it has Vera Farmiga or however you say her name yeah yeah um, she's great and it's written it's original it's written and directed by a guy named Rupert Wyatt who's mm-hmm. an up and coming director who's only really his only notable credit prior to this movie is Rise of the Planet of the Apes mm. which is widely considered to be a pretty great film mm-hmm. and a pretty tight you know kind of sci-fi sure uh, film and you know John Goodman you know I think is can be pretty imposing in these types of movies he was great in the Cloverfield movie that yeah that uh, what was it called 10 Cloverfield Lane yeah 10 I believe. Cloverfield Lane yeah and Vera Farmiga has also shown her chops in sci-fi movies in the past. And so Captive State, all we know about it right now really is that it takes place in Chicago about a decade after some form of alien, you know, extraterrestrial 
uh, occupation mm-hmm. of the of the world, or at least of Chicago. And you know, kind of. So I like the idea that it could potentially be this kind of gritty street, cr- like action crime type movie yeah. with aliens. That sounds like it could be pretty interesting. Uh, the other one for me comes from the Lord of the Rings writing team: Philippa oh. Boyens, Peter Jackson, J.R. Tolkien. J.R. Tolkien? No, uh, not J.R. But it's uh, and we've seen a teaser for this now. But it's Mortal Engines. Oh yeah, that almost made my list. Actually, yeah, it looks. You know, I I get skeptical with these huge CGI pieces sure. because they can sometimes suffer under the weight of how much money you have to spend just to do the graphics. Right. But the story looks like it could be a pretty interesting epic. Obviously, it could be Waterworld, where it totally... Well, I actually think Waterworld's not as bad. It's not bad, as bad as people but it, give... But yeah. it suffered under the weight of expectation. Yeah. So that could happen yeah, to Yeah, it got Mortal a little Engines. leaky. Uh, but it, at the same time, you've got massive cities put on these huge walking robots and fighting each other and... You know, post-apocalyptic scavengers. I mean, I think that's a pretty, pretty interesting <laughs> yeah. setup. Yeah. No, it, so. it looks pretty. Sort of like a you know, we had Horizon Zero Dawn, the video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This year about a future world where there's robots that look like animals, and but it's also very primitive. Mortal Engines had a kind of similar feel to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I am going to be interested to see what that you know, ends up being. Because I, I agree with you, Jake. I'm I'm a little bit suspicious of sometimes these CGI extravaganzas. <coughs> and yet it looks pretty cool. I mean it really I, does. I think it and and what you say about some of the people behind uh the scenes, I mean it makes you sort of optimistic that it could be pretty good. It does. Because okay, we can we can take some issue with the Hobbit. Mm. Who knows how much of that was their fault? Turn it into three movies versus one or I maybe could have given them two for the Hobbit. So we could say I think that soured us a little bit on that team, but I mean think about what they did with Lord of the Rings. And the practical and CG effects in that movie still and are pretty incredible mm-hmm. with that trilogy. So hopefully they can bring that to Mortal Engines. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But we'll have to see. Yeah. We'll just have to see. That's the thing with all of these is we don't you know until know. we know. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes ones come out of left field that didn't look good bef- like to you before. That was Iron Man for me. That was Baby Driver for me. Yeah. And then yeah. they come out of left field and they're, and they're actually great. Every Pixar movie was like that for me, actually. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> Every single one. I said, ah, oh, uh, it doesn't Another look Pixar great. movie. Doesn't oh, Wally. Cars that talk. looks sort of lame. And then you watch it and you just go, oh, my goodness. This is so great. <laughs> so good. Uh, all right. Well, what are you guys looking forward to? Let us know on the Twitter. I'm at Jake Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. But. Now it's time for the most least important thing. Welcome inside the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up our show every single time. It's where we take the juggernauts of pop culture and we cut them off at the knees, or we take (laughs) the little Jiminy Cricket grasshoppers and we remind you that they might actually be a huge deal and have a great singing voice. (laughs) That that may have been one of your best segues ever. That was pretty good. 
<laughs> Paul, what do you got for us today? today? Right. So I don't know how many of you are Doctor Who fans, but I my dad is. Yeah, across the pond, they're I've still a, never seen an episode. You've never seen an not episode? That is wrong. It's not out of protest. I just haven't. No, that's haven't done it. That's utterly and completely wrong. You should. You cannot be on a geek-oriented podcast <laughs> if you haven't watched Doctor Who. I've also that's never, like not watching Star Trek. I've also never seen an episode of The Simpsons. So there you go. Oh, Jake, I'm going to have to find a new co-host. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to add that to my homework for 2018. Watch <laughs> yeah, no one doubt. episode of The Simpsons. No. One episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, and you got to watch like classic and modern Who because they're totally different beasts. So um, anyway. Just to fill you, Jake, <laughs> into what Doctor Who is all about. It's this long-running British show oh, since the 1960s. They re-spawn these Doctors right. over time. There's lots of Doctors, Daleks, Daleks. They are getting a new Doctor. It's the first female Doctor, actually. I think ever. I've heard about this. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a cool deal. So, But, of course, to get a new Doctor, they had to eliminate... An old doctor, and his name was Peter Capaldi. He was a really, he was sort of one of the older doctors, and he didn't last for very long, but he, he is gone. And that really upset a nine-year-old boy from Ireland, <laughs> wrote to Peter Capaldi, and uh, just lamented the fact that he was, he was going away as the doctor. So for Christmas, Capaldi wrote this little boy a letter, and it was delightful. And it goes... And essentially, this is what he wrote to the the kid. It was handwritten the whole bit. The new doctor always becomes your favorite, and the one that goes, well, he never really goes. He is always there, somewhere in time and space. And if you think about him hard enough, you'll see him, and he'll see you. And then he goes on to say, it's like the doctor says, everything ends, and it's always sad, but everything begins again, and that's always happy. So be happy. And I just thought that was a really nice way to to wish a little nine year old boy a Merry Christmas. And I think it's good advice for us in this uh, this new year. You know, it's uh, everything begins again, and because of that, it's it's happy time. <laughs> it's happy time. <laughs> well, got a little little schlocky there at the end, no, but hey, no. But I mean, know. I mean, when I look at this year, I mean, twenty seventeen for a lot of reasons was a very difficult year for a lot of us, and I think that that. When you look at the the new year, it sort of does become sort of a new beginning. And we have new hopes, new expectations, new aspirations. And we know that there's going to be some terrible stuff that goes on because terrible stuff always does. But at the same time, I think that giving a fresh start can readjust our brain and, and allow us to see things um, in a new and clean and, and, and better way. And yeah. I still have hope that the New England Patriots will not win another Super Bowl. <laughs> so that's what I'm holding that's on to. That's what you're holding on to. Well, speaking of new and clean and better, my most least important thing is was a surprise to me. Um, it, and it, I didn't plan on seeing it. Didn't have any interest in it. I don't even know if I'd seen a trailer for it. It's like Pixar movies with me. Basically like Paul and Pixar movies. I never saw the original. It was a sequel. It's not even out yet, but I got an email that there was a screening for Paddington 2 and that families were invited. And I was like, you know what? I'll do this for the kids. We should all go take them to the theater. It's free. It'll be fun. And, you know, it'll be it'll be a fun little thing. It'll right. just be a fun little the thing. The kids will enjoy it, you said. I appreciate The kids will enjoy it. Paddington's They'll keep a nice quiet little, for two hours. Paddington's a nice little bear. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I read the books when I was a kid. Yeah. Saw the little great animated books. TV show, you know. 
And uh, so I, I trundle my my wife and I trundle our four kids into the theater, two of them on our laps, and one of them too young to be in a theater to go see <laughs> Paddington Two. But before we did, somebody was like, "It's at a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes," and I said, "That's a joke. It's not." And then they're like, no, I looked it up. It is. And I was like, well, that's probably only because there's two reviews out there. No, there's like 60 reviews out there. It's 100% of Rotten Tomatoes, 98% for the audience. And I was like, I'll judge that for myself. And you know what? Paddington 2 is a bunch of nonsense. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's insane. There's plot holes. It doesn't make any sense. And yet it is an absolute delight. It is delightful. It is. It knows what it is, and it owns that well. And Brendan Gleeson, by golly, is <laughs> a gem again. <laughs> so I highly can say that if and it, it can, it's coming out in January, which is like either garbage or maybe you're trying to right, right. Usually it's just garbage. Yeah, it, or it, a re-release of something trying to get some Oscar love. No, and it, I think that that's exactly it. You do see a lot of Oscar-nominated movies sort of scrolling out to the to the wider community. But for the most part, you know, this is not a time for great, great movies. Yeah. It is a time for kid movies, but not not Pixar not even always kid great movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, no, Pixar no. kid movies. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you say, okay, it's going to be a long winter. I need a couple hours. Yeah, let's take the kids today. But I have heard – I have not seen Paddington 2, but I have heard some tremendous things about it. It was really, really nice. And boy, that – I was not expected. So there It'll you go. be interesting to see I if it shows up on your uh, 2018 We'll see. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know that it will. But at the same team – at the same team. At the same time. At the same team, it just might. <laughs> it just might show up there, you laddie. <laughs> so there you go. Paddington 2. <laughs> And without further ado, I will bid you farewell. And so my brain can start thinking and yeah. And at Please least hopefully after. complete sentences. Please look after this co-host. Please look after this <laughs> confused man. Uh, but as we said before, you can, we love to talk to you about what you're looking forward to, what you loved from 2017, what you're looking forward to in 2018. Uh, we've got a Facebook group. <laughs> it's called Pop Culture with Fan People and Know-It-Alls. And I'm on Twitter at at Jake <laughs> underscore Roberson. I'm on Twitter at AC Paul. At AC Paul. And until next time, where you get to come back inside our crazy brains, we'll catch you on the flip side. See ya. No, you had, what, The Office, Parks and Rec, I Love Lucy. What else did you have? Seinfeld, The Office, I Love Lucy, Parks and Rec, Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb. That was an interesting choice. And I was fairly eclectic. No, no, it's really not, though. Like, I I imagine you've probably only seen it to review it for Plugged In. What, Phineas and Ferb? Yeah. No, it just was because it's animated, Mm. you just wouldn't necessarily think. But I've heard great things about it, and you're right. I've only seen it once to review it. But I saw it, and I liked it. I thought it was really humorous. It was just the interesting thing about your list, just to critique your list some more, is that 
is that you had this block of fairly modern shows, and then you went way over here for I Love Lucy and mm-hmm. way over here for Phineas and Ferb. I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah. that might be why you just didn't get a ton of pushback, is because it seemed like you put some thought into it. Right. It wasn't, oh, he has only watched TV for the last five years. Right. If Scrubs had landed on the list, then maybe there would have been a little bit more, just yeah. because, you 